Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, here we go. <laughs> here we go now, y'all. What's up? Happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday, my dude. It's, uh, it's another Wednesday. And we are here doing the podcast. Doing the podcast. <laughs> Except this time, no editing. Oh yeah, this Yay. is going to be uncut, uncensored. Raw. Mystery murdery thingy. This is not the first time this has, has had to happen. But this is the second time that this has had to happen. Correct. But for a different reason. This time it's uh, due to time constraints. And we don't plan ahead. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Yay. Because <laughs> technically I'm homeless. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can I crash on your couch tonight? Because technically I'm homeless. <laughs> wow. Uh, I best. heard that some people want a spinoff. Oh, yeah, of, like, those two characters. Yeah, we're talking about Parks and Rec. Right. By the way. What is it? Mona Lisa and... What's John, his name? John Ralphio. John Ralphio. <laughs> yeah, there should be a spinoff. I think that'd be so funny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like sure a, it could sustain itself for a whole Maybe episode. just, like, one episode. Just one? You a know, bonus episode. How about, like, a made-for-TV movie? <laughs> no. What? That's like, but one long episode. That's what I'm saying. Like a, maybe like a little mini series. I get it. I I guess yeah. We're saying the same thing. We are saying the same. We're just using different terminology. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to mystery murdery thingy. Mystery murdery thingy. Mystery mystery mystery. The podcast. That's all about mysteries and murderies and And thingies. thingies. That's right. Anything under the term, the umbrella term, unknown. Right. It can be anything as long as you don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah. That's the rule. There's no definitive answer. Right. People are still like, hey, I don't think so. But I still think you had a good idea. What? If we talk about myths that people think are real but there's no real basis behind it right like a special episode yeah or like myths that used to be myths but aren't anymore like things that we used to think were myths but now we know are real like, like the Troy. Br- the bermuda triangle the bermuda we like triangle. know why all that bullshit is happening it has to do with like bubbles and i'm sure we could think of a few more of those if we like really thought about it yeah that's a good idea or stuff like like atlantis that right. was my thing i was like well like, there's no real mystery to it yeah <laughs> But again, it it's wasn't like, real. is it just kind of like a retelling of this, like, kind of what happened to the Minoans? But, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked enough into that to, like, really know if that's, like, you you kind of looked into that more, but. There are similar stories related to Atlantis of islands that have actually kind of sort of sunk into the ground. Right. I mean, that's like a thing that can but happen. It's not like a whole like disappearing civilization like that's 
Right. It's not like a whole civilization disappeared like that. Yeah. Because of an island. Right. Anyway. That's not doing, what we're talking about today. Are you doing a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? Murdery. Wait, me too. I'm doing... Okay, Ooh. I know. I told you I was going to do something else. But I... I I don't even remember. You told me twice, and I still forgot. I was going to talk about the hanging coffins in China. Right, right. But not, that's not what you're going to do. No, I'm doing a straight up cold case. Ooh, okay. Yeah, mine's mine's a cold case, but it's like a classic cold case. Nice. But like an under the radar classic cold case. Okay, so do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? I always want to go first. So if you defer, or if you really want to go first, Um, I don't care so much. You can totally go first. Okay. So, okay, don't do that too much, though. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me get comfy first, then. Okay, get comfy. Settle in. Okay. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a little guy who lives in the blue (laughs) world. I don't know what you're doing. What is that? I'm blue, I'm a Oh, I see. I see what you're doing now. I have a blue house with a blue window. Okay, not the whole song, though. Thank you. Thank you, though. I love that song. Okay, moving on. I can't edit this out. That guy's going to sue us. It's going to be like, you're using my shit. No. Don't use my shit now. Not that random. And now you're making him mad. Moving on. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, I decided to get back a little bit to the murdery stuff, and I'm gonna talk about the Thames Torso Murders. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So these were some very grotesque, very disturbing uh, murders that were probably linked together. They're they're like, it's it's pretty clear that they're like the same person, or may, maybe like. A couple of people at the most, but there's like a very similar mo that that'll like run throughout them. Modus operandi. Modus operandi, or if you're doing it in the classical pronunciation, modus operandi. Boo. And that's a little bit of Latin for you. That's right. <laughs> I took Latin for five years. That's about all I remember. No, I a little bit more than that, but yeah. It's what like, does la vie bohème mean? La vie bohème is French. Oh. And it means the bohemian life. <laughs> but French was derived, you know, pretty directly from Latin. So they are very closely linked. And now we're talking this, the podcast about languages and bullshit. Okay, so t- Tem's Torso Murders. Back to what the hell I'm actually talking about. Sorry. Okay, no, that's okay. So a series of uh, probably connected murders that ran throughout the 1870s and 1880s with some pretty big gaps in between, right? Which is a thing that we see with serial killers. It's a not that unusual aspect of serial killers that especially after their first kill, they'll take an extended break. Yeah. For whatever reason. Um, but I think criminologists probably think mostly because they've, like, satisfied that urge. They, there's usually, like, this huge build-up, right? It's just, like, you, you fantasize about doing it. Don't kill people, though. Don't do this, what I'm talking about right now. But I'm just saying this is what some people do. You you have the, the um, conceptual, conceptualization and the ideation and then the action. 
and then once you get to the action, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm done, like, for a while. And this was also at the same time as the Jack the Ripper murders, which is, well, some of them were anyway, but that's probably why this is kind of, like, underplayed both at the time and, like, in history, in the history still, of Silver I've, I've definitely heard of them, though. You have heard of them before? Yeah. I had heard of them, but really only because of, like, the last podcast on Lost Podcast on the Left, the last podcast on the left, uh, Minnesota, that I actually re-listened to for this. Um, but I, I'm not sure I had heard of them in another context, but I'm sure they must show up in, like, I don't know, somewhere in pop culture, right? It's just very, they're very yeah, strange. They're, they're weird. They're very, very strange. And we'll get into, like, deep, gory. We're going to get into some gory details. Mine's okay. kind of gory, too. Nice. That's good. No, this is a good contrast because we've been doing a lot of thingy episodes. Yeah. So let's, let's get some, some gore. Not that we like murder, but it is fascinating in a grotesque way. So the uh, Thames Torso murders began on September 5th, 1873, when a Thames policeman was rowing on the river, which apparently was a thing that they had at that time. It was like policemen to patrol the river because... Rowing. A lot of... Rowing now. <laughs> Rowing on the river. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you about something later that's funny that's connected to that. Anyway, um, because apparently this was like a very common way that bodies would be disposed of. Murdered bodies. Just throw them in the Thames. I guess. Oh my um, god. Yeah, that's like... That's awful. Some of what I heard. Yeah. There was a lot of murder going on. Uh, in, you know, London around this time is my understanding. It's dark. Yeah. Not, not a great place, so. And I feel like if steampunk was going to thrive from somewhere, it'd be 19th century London. I know right. you hate it. <laughs> not 19th century London. I hate steampunk because it's <laughs> fucking stupid. So the left quarter of a woman's torso was found first by that Thames policeman Ooh, that's yeah. really specific sorry mm. I'm interrupting a lot keep going I know <laughs> um, and the uh, quarter the left quarter of the torso was found in the mud near Battersea Waterworks so it had kind of like washed out from the river and on that same day another policeman found the right side of the same woman's torso, or they presume was the same woman's torso, floating near Brunswick Wharf. And then there were parts of lungs variously found near Old Battersea Bridge and also Battersea Railway Pier. So these are obviously all fairly close to one another, but they're, like, sort of different parts of the river. And, yeah, as I can tell from your face, like, it, it gets very gruesome very quickly. Yeah, I mean one can't help but conjure up sort of an image of all of this, right? Um, but, yeah, it's just, like, re- revolting. That seems to have been part of what the killer was going for, I think, as we'll see throughout this, is that reaction. You know, um, that's, if anything, probably what this is, like, about for uh, him. You know, probably him. So there were, um, let me see, what else? Oh, yes, that's right. The next day, September 6th, a woman's face was found with only the scalp attached. So no head, ah! no, no skull, just the face of a woman. Yeah. What? I know. That's like... Like a mask? 
I feel yeah, like that kind of like, like a, a mask, oh. but like a real person's face. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, and that was found near Limehouse. And then on September 8th, so this is uh, another two days later, a right thigh was found in the Thames off Woolwich, and a right shoulder and part of an arm were found near Greenwich. So we're getting a lot of different body parts, and this is like the MO, right, basically, is um, presumably the victim is murdered and then dismembered, disjointed, and body parts are just everywhere, just all all over the city, just various locations, trying to spread this gruesome horror out as widely as possible. That seems to have been the the general idea here from the killer's perspective, right? And from the investigator's perspective, what they were looking to do here was take all those various body parts and literally stitch them back together, which they literally did with this first victim. What? Yes, that that is what they did. Whose job was that? Um, well, apparently it was the police surgeon named Dr. Kempster. Um, yeah, they, they, they talked about it actually specifically, like he was the one who, who did this and like probably like came up with the idea. And the, um, that the face was also like part of it as well. So they know it belongs to one person? Mm, not exactly cuz they didn't really have any way of telling that at the so time. They, could be they just doing presumed some weird this. like Frankenstein bullshit. The allusion to Frankenstein is both immediate and inescapable. Yes. And and, and uh who knows? I mean, when was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein written? Wasn't it in the 1880s? I think. I'm pretty sure. And so perhaps this was even in some way, uh, I mean, who knows? That's totally speculative. But, I mean, I don't know what Mary Shelley was doing in, you know, September of 18th. Maybe she was reading the papers in New York. At least some of whom were talking about this, I assume. I mean, but not that many, because apparently it didn't get, like, that much of a play. So there was this really good, um, and it's, like, the only source that I actually fucking wrote down. (laughs) Because I was, like, kind of rushing through this. Um, because of the time constraints, like we talked about earlier. Um, but there's this really good uh, academic blog post by Emma Battle-Lohman um, from the academic blog for the University of Leicester um, called The Power of the Criminal Corpse. And I was going to read a quote from that because I thought this was just like a really good summation. So it says, um, his preliminary findings were that, talking about Dr. Kempster, were that the woman appeared to be around 40 years old. She had thin and dark, uh, sh- thin and short dark hair, a thin mustache, and her left breast bore a scar from an old burn. Kempster told the inquest that the blow to the head was likely the cause of death. So that's, you know, kind of um, the conclusion that they could come to. And, and this is one where they actually had a little bit more to go on than than a lot of the other murders. So there's kind of more information about the investigation Mm -hmm. and stuff. So all of the, you know, body parts and everything, obviously this is, like, very disturbing to people. It was, like, a big deal, like, in that, like, specific area of London, right? Like, people were kind of up in arms about it. But it didn't really, like, 
gain that wider notoriety. However, it was it had kind of like a cult following, you might say, in a way. Like um, us. Uh, so, sort of, yeah, kind of, a little bit. <laughs> Not at all. Maybe. <laughs> um, but, so, you remember how I was telling you how they did that reconstruction? They, like, stitched the first victim back together? So... Not only did they do that, they also put it on public display for people. <gasps> no! In, not just for, like, whatever, but to in an attempt to, like, identify the victim. That was their idea. To, like, have people come through and, like, is this your missing relative, basically. Oh my God. Which is just, like, nuts. And apparently there was this guy who was like, oh, it's my daughter. But it couldn't have been because she didn't have that, like, scar. But he just, like, saw the face, which... I'm sure it didn't look exactly like a real, like a human face yeah. does when it's, I, I don't know, right? But it's like, it's all very disturbing. Very disturbing. But not too disturbing for some people to take hastily drawn sketches of this reconstructed body and then they would sell them on the street to proto-murderinos of the 19th century London streets. Oh. So... That was also a thing that happened around this, which I think is kind of funny, not funny, haha. Well, a little bit funny, haha, and odd. funny, odd. Just in to that take way, take advantage of a situation yeah. such as this. It's like a yeah, it's like a very P.T. Barnum kind of thing to do. <laughs> yes. Yes, but like real P.T. Barnum, not like yes. the we watched the movie the other day. So. Um, the reason why, okay, why didn't this guest get more press play, right? This is fucking nuts, right? Um, in any era, in any time and place, right? But the, um, you know, at least the later ones, the Jack the Ripper murders probably, you know, overshadowed them. And, and just honestly, there was a lot of murder going on. Some people also thought that it might have been a practical joke done by some medical students. Because apparently that was a thing that happened back then. Medical students would just, like, use the bodies that they practiced on for dissection and such to make practical jokes. What? Yeah. Were they, were they bored or what? Apparently going to medical school doesn't occupy all your time, at least in the 19th century. That doesn't... Who knows? Who fucking knows? <laughs> I don't know. I certainly don't. So the um, the bodies, though, the, the, the one kind of big clue that they had to go on was that they weren't just, like, hacked up, right? They were disarticulated, dismembered in a way that showed some medical, possibly, skill. However, it didn't seem to be, like, a really highly skilled person. This wasn't like the Black Dahlia, where it was like, oh, this must have been a surgeon, like a skilled surgeon. Yeah. This was, okay, it could have been a medical student, it could have been a butcher, it could have been what's called a knacker, which is a person who dispenses with the corpses of inedible animals. Oh. Yeah, which is apparently like a different job that I didn't know about until I was reading about this. <laughs> I mean, I've heard the word knacker before, but I didn't know like that it meant that, I guess. So there were some other theories at the time. They thought maybe this was a person who had been murdered by the dock workers, and then they did this to like try to, you know, cover up their crime somehow. Um, other people thought maybe this was an escaped lunatic from Broadmoor Asylum because 
Jesus Christ, this seems like a fucking lunatic did it, right? Yeah. Like, this guy's <laughs> yeah. literally fucking crazy. Um, but whatever, you know, the the answer is, no one really could find out at this point because there just wasn't enough to go on at the time. And the nature of late 19th century policing, right? It's It's just, like, impossible, basically. So there uh, were more body parts, though, that kept showing up. Uh, in the Thames, uh, a left foot, a piece of a right arm, an, uh, two legs, but just ankle to knee. Uh. So just kind of a random assemblage of the the human body parts of these human victims who were murdered. So it's it's very yeah, again disturbing and grotesque. And there was actually a two hundred pound, uh, which at the time I guess was a pretty good amount of money. Um, you know, kind of like bounty or whatever offered for information, but there were no leads and there were no arrests ever for, for any of these murders. Um, the hands and the skull were never found. And, and again, this may have been for, for like almost all of these murders. And that was probably, I think, to prevent identification, you know, cause that's like the one thing that they would have had back then, right? You, you look at a person's face or... You have the, they had fingerprints, I'm pretty sure, back even back then, so. So, do we know how many people it was? Not, you know, not, not exactly. I mean, not for sure. But there are sort of eight victims that, you know, I'll kind of go through. There may have been more, like you were saying, even this first victim may have been multiple victims. We just don't know. Yeah. I feel like this case would be extremely fascinating if it happened today. Yeah, but I, I bet they would get caught a lot more quickly. I mean, oh, well, maybe obviously. not, actually, because we're finding out about more and more serial killers that have been active over the past 15 to 20 years. That's true. So, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it, this could definitely be like a Criminal Minds episode. Well, there was something weird. Oh, really? There was, was the a one... weird one where, like, this guy was, like, kidnapping people and uh-huh. then, like, chopping them up. And then he would, like, sew, like, other body parts to, like, live people. Uh, oh, I we watched that one together, I think. We did. Oh, I think so. fucked up. Yeah, that's crazy. But, of course, Matthew Gray Hubler, he'll, he'll solve it. I along love with, him. Along with his, you know... I know he's not really, but to me, he's the main character of the show. We're, we keep getting Moore. off on these tangents. Shemar Moore, the Shemar most beautiful Moore, black man he, on the earth. He's definitely the most attractive person on that show. Not to say that like, uh, the other people aren't attractive, but, you know. Anyway. What a guy. <laughs> so, whatever, you know, happened with this first victim or victims, the body was buried except for the face, which apparently was kept by the medical officer for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I saying that like a billion times this episode. I don't know. Um, on September twenty first of eighteen seventy four, whatever it was. So um, that kind of closed the book on that one. And um, there was, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a hiatus, but not much for the second victim. Yeah, actually, it was it was not that long because it was September eighteen seventy three for the first victim. And then it was June 1874 for the second victim. So just about a year later. And probably the same killer. Not as much known about this one. 
but the body was found without the head, arms, or feet, so no extremities, and it was floating near um, Thames near Putney. And not much else is really known about, about that victim. There was just, like, not much to go on. Like, it was too decayed. I think they said it had been soaked in lime for a time. Oh. So that, like, decayed it more. So there, there was just, like, very, very little to go on for that second one. And then after the second one is where we get that long hiatus. Um, and, you know, like I said, there may have been many different reasons for that. Some people think maybe a person got incarcerated for a different crime. Maybe it was just their bloodlust was kind of sated, you know, as we were talking about at the, at the beginning. Maybe they had a change of living situation. I mean, who knows, right? But the apparent Thames Torso murderer comes back in 1884 and from 1884 to 1889 there were many more dismembered bodies found oh my God. and again we don't know that these are all of them because of just how many there were maybe some of them just were never found i mean who knows but um these these are like the rest of them that are kind of like the ones that are um, well established so the thing that stays constant pretty much through all these is that sort of semi-skilled nature of the dismemberments and and that's what really like links these together consistently i think what's crazy about this is that you can't look at the victimology mm -hmm. and i feel like that would be a huge clue into right. what's into who's doing it and why yeah no totally you know they they think it was mostly you know sex workers lower class women they think that they were all women. Um, that seems pretty clear. So there's a little bit of that. But yeah, other than that, it's like not at all. And there was only one that was ever identified um, by name. So, you know. And then the third uh, victim was in 1884. So we're, you know, 10 years yeah. later here. And that was a woman's torso that was found in an area that was nearly constantly patrolled. So this what? was very intentionally meant to like taunt the police. Like, here, I did this. Try to catch me. Try to find me. Um, which of course they never did. But apparently what the killer did was uh, he waited for a changing of the guard and then went out and left the, the body and then ran away. Yeah. I know. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> like, everything about this fucking case is fucking nuts. I... I... <sighs> like, how could someone even do that? You have to be, like, such a psychopath. Apart from anything else, right? To have, like, the, the ice in your veins to do that? I don't understand it. And this, again, is that part of the M.O. as well, of taunting the police, kind of trolling the police with their behavior. And there were more body parts from the same victim found all over Tottenham Court, uh, that sent, uh, section of London, and that included a skull and an arm with a tattoo. And that's part of what they think, you know, that these were possibly sex workers or lower-class people, because at that time, tattoos were not really the norm except amongst that sort of class of people. The fourth victim was found in December of 1884, 
and that was an arm and feet of a woman discovered wrapped in paper. And they seem to have also been, you know, skillfully dissected. Um, There was another shorter hiatus this time of about three years. And in 1887, a lower torso of a woman was pulled from the Thames in the village of Raynham, wrapped in paper or fabric. And that's another thing that kind of recurs a lot, is that they're wrapped up in, like, paper or or fabric, uh, which I think is, is very interesting if you think about it from a, um, you know, um, uh, developing the profile from a psychological profile perspective, right? It, it seems... It takes time. It takes time, and, and it shows care in yes. a way. It, it shows that, not that the, the killer had any care for the person, right, as a human being, but that they showed care for the, for the, um, for the corpse, and that maybe, you know, in, in a way these corpses, you know, had some kind of symbolic meaning, perhaps, to the killer, that they had to be kind of wrapped in this special way. I don't know. It, it's, like, easy to try to psychoanalyze, right? But there's definitely something going on with that, right? So let me just find my place here. Okay, and more of this victim's remains were also found across London, so across a pretty wide area. And the head and the upper torso were the only parts that ended up being missing from this victim. And again, there was some uh, skill shown in the dissection. This one um, was also not officially ruled a murder, which is interesting. Just Why be- is that? Just because of the lack of evidence. The the coroner just didn't feel that at the inquest that he could present enough evidence to prove murder. And partly this was because there was no sign of trauma, uh, like pre-mortem trauma, on the parts of the body that were, ex- that were extant. Um, obviously the head is not present, so presumably that was the part of the body to which the deadly blow was made, right? As with some of the other victims, you know, that that would seem to also fit with the MO. But because the head was not present, I guess the coroner just didn't feel like they could say. But it, it does seem kind of strange. So in August of 1884 is when the Jack Ripper murders begin. So just kind of yeah, put a pin yeah. in that. This is kind of like right in the middle of the Thames Torso murders. The very next month, in September of 1884, we get the sixth victim. And uh, a woman's torso, wrapped again in paper, was found where the newly minted Scotland Yard was being <gasps> constructed. What? Yes. The Scotland Yard. The very beginning. The first Scotland Yard, when they were just forming it as an organization on the site where it was being actively constructed. So this guy is like one bold motherfucker. Oh yeah. He is like, hey, fucking police, I'm here. <laughs> like, what you gonna do about it? It's pretty crazy. And the arms of the same victim were later found in the Thames as well. And this one was ruled a homicide. There was actually clear evidence of what appears to be desanguinization or desanguination. Is that how you say it? Desanguinization? I think, he, I think so. I'm not really sure. Basically, death by blood loss. 
um, because of these um, these um, wounds that were found in the shoulder. So it seems as though the the victim was bled out, basically. Oh my God. And again, there was that same level of precision in the dismemberment. The seventh victim was found on June fourth, eighteen eighty nine. So again, a little bit of a hiatus here, five years later. May have been more in between, but this is is kind of the next one that we know about. A woman's body parts, just various body parts, were found wrapped in cloth in the Thames. And this was uh, a unique um, find in, in this set of murders because the stomach was actually cut open and that the internal organs had actually been removed. So there there was more going on in terms of the um you know evisceration of the of the body that we we apparently didn't see in the earlier murders. So perhaps that's because this is a different killer, perhaps that's because this represents some kind of escalation which again we see very often right with with serial killers. Yeah. Um they don't get that satisfaction from or or maybe that's that they're they're mindset in terms of what they need to do has changed uh, for some external reason. So, you know, it's not totally clear. But uh, the genitals of this woman had also been mutilated. So that's another thing that I didn't see in terms of any of the other murders. And in terms of the psychopathy would also seem to suggest to me uh, a a higher level of like... um, you know, hate for women. Yeah. And, and a kind of a aggression uh, in, a, in a way that might suggest, you know, early trauma from a, a, a mother maybe or, or separation or perhaps, you know, just a, um, that's, that's part of like their disorder, right? Mental disorder that they have some kind of like natural antipathy towards women. But that that seems like it's clearly part of what's going on, at least with this murder. Um, and again, if this were happening today, if this were like, you know, whatever, whatever a, a case the FBI were investigating, I think those are the kind of things they would get into, right? To try to like yeah. narrow this down. Like, who is this person? What happened to them? And like, who are they at their root? Um, the, those types of things were like not really starting to be done at this time this was like just at the beginning when people were starting to think about that kind of stuff so you know that that wasn't really a part of any of this investigation unfortunately because probably would have helped to stop this before so many women were murdered right um but the eighth and as far as we know final victim was uh found in september of 1889 a woman's torso with arms attached also unique amongst these victims, was found under a railway arch by a patrolling constable. And this one is, it, it's, it's a little bit different in a few different ways. Um, and it's actually uh, dubbed, or was dubbed at the time by the press, the Pynchon Street Torso. So it, it actually had its own like name in the press because it was so like freaked people out, right? And it's the only torso in the sort of, can, uh, or sorry, it's the only torso victim of the, the Thames torso victims, which is also included in the canonical Whitechapel murders. The Jack the Ripper killings are part of the Whitechapel murders. 
okay. um, which occurred like in the the late eighteen eighties, early eighteen nineties, um, in that area of London, right, Whitechapel. Yeah. Again, there was so much murder going on in London at this time that there was like sets of murders in different parts of the city. Like that's God. how fucking crazy this was. What happened? I I think I that maybe that that could be an episode, right? Like why was there so much murder going on in London at this time? Maybe I'm over exaggerating it. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's a very safe city now. But I I I really again, I am at a loss for information. That's my main takeaway from this episode that's <laughs> so many things I don't know. <laughs> but so much more to be explored, right? That's the mystery. So a couple of different ways in which, uh, a couple of more different ways, rather, in which this was different than the other ones, there seemed to be less skill in, in the dismemberment okay. for this victim. Or maybe it was done more hastily. It's, it's a little difficult to tell. Um, the body was also not wrapped in fabric or paper this time. It was simply covered over with a chemise. I feel like this one would be a different killer. It definitely could have been, yes. And of course, the arms being attached to the body yeah. was different than any of the other, bo uh, any of the other victims' uh, bodies. So, yes, perhaps. Or maybe it was a consequence of something that had changed with the killer. Maybe he had gotten an injury, so he was less able to do the things he was able to do before. Maybe he had less time to do it because now he's living in a different place where he, yeah. you know, who knows, but it very well could have been. And, and these eight victims may have been murdered by more than two people. You know, it's a little difficult to tell. But some of them at least seem to have been the uh, the work of one, you know, murderer. And um, very, very gruesome, um, you know, sort of different than, you know, in a way, any other serial killer that I know about. I mean, I, I don't know of any other serial killer that spreads their corpses out so widely. In right? pieces. In pieces. And... So, like, but that also connected with, like, taunting the police and, like, being, you know, sort of daring in a way and sort of cunning in a way. Um, not unlike, for example, you know, the Zodiac Killer, you know, yeah. like sending all of these cryptic messages to the uh, to the police. Although the, it seems that the Thames Torso Killer never made any um, letters, you know, in the same way that... The, the Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I was going to say, know. didn't Jack the Ripper do letters too? Although a lot of those were debunked. Um, oh, really? Yeah, a, a lot of them were found out to be some, uh, well, either people who were just sending them in, you know, to. For attention, because. pranks or that whatever. For some reason. Right, or they were done by the press themselves. Uh. Yeah. Um, the 19th century was not a bastion of. Um, press ethics yeah <laughs> either in the uk or the united states i mean uh, i'm fairly sure that's where the term you know yellow journalism comes from you know because the it was that cheap yellow paper that they would you know and that's what you would have been reading about the thames torso in those like big broad sheets of yellow paper they probably smelled weird and like 
were ripping by the end of the day. <laughs> but it's like got that gruesome photo or that that gruesome, you know, uh, oh. you know, sketch reproduced, right? You know, and people were like, oh, God, it's so... But people are always like that, I'm right? going to try to find that, that, that sketch. Yeah, well, yeah, you see. There are some, yeah, there are some good pictures I found you can put up on the Instagram, so... Okay, that was... Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I... I had no idea they were so gross. I know, I know, but I feel like, you know, you got it, like, with this, with this kind of stuff, you, you got to get into the details, otherwise yeah. it's like you're not really doing it justice. Mine's kind of gory, too. Um, okay. So, this one is also in England, kind of funny. Okay. Um, it's what, it's one of their most notorious unsolved cases, and it's, the witchcraft murder of Charles Walton. Mm. So, Charles Walton was a 74-year-old farm laborer. He um, had rheumatoid arthritis, but he and he walked with a stick, but he still sought out farm work um, whenever he could find it. He lived in a lower. There's Lower and Upper Quinton in uh, Warwickshire, England, and he lives in Lower Quinton, and it's this classic small rural town where everybody knows everybody um he was a pretty well-liked dude but he kept to himself he was kind of a loner he was known for training horses and having a natural affinity to bond and communicate with animals which um will be more in real will be more understandable later so this was like dr doolittle meets sure you know farm laborer like you know that's pretty cool i like it yeah okay i feel like we would be friends <laughs> so uh at this time he lives with his 33 year old niece um named edith or eddie walton um and he adopted her after her mother died so here's what happened he left the morning of February 14th, 1945 to do some uh, hedge trimming work on Meon Hill. This is something that he um, did all the time. He had uh, been doing work for a farmer named Alfred Potter. So uh, he was his employer. Uh, with him, he had a pitchfork and a slash hook. And a slash hook is like this double-edged tool used for cutting hedges and it has like a sharp straight edge on one side and then like a concave cutting edge on the other it looks like a big butter knife but mm. like curved interesting it's a weird looking tool i've never heard of that before um so he usually would go in at about 9 a.m and um come back around four but um, after he wasn't home by 6 o'clock that night, his niece, Eddie, grew worried. So she notified her neighbor named Harry Beasley, and the two went off to search for him. And so the first person they go to is Alfred Potter. And he says, yeah, he was here today. He confirmed that he had been working for him this morning. And so then the three of them went off into the field and to the hill to go find him. And what they found was pretty gruesome. Um, so they found his body. And it was clear that he'd been killed very violently. So first, he had appeared to be uh, have been beaten in the head with his own walking stick. Um, 
the slash hook was embedded in his throat. He had been stabbed in the neck with a pitchfork and it impaled him, like impaling him to the ground. Oh. Um, his silver watch was missing and the most bizarre of all was that there uh, was a crucifix was found carved into his chest. Ooh. So the investigation was conducted by Alec, a man named Alec Spooner, and he's the detective superintendent of Warwickshire, and it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. um, later, uh, the case was taken to uh, Scotland Yard, so investigator okay. from Scotland Yard took over later. Right, right. But Spooner did the initial digging, and he later relayed all this information to the two um, detectives. He did some digging and found two pieces of local history that were related to the killing, and they were outlined in a book called Folklore, Old Customs and Superstitions in Shakespeare Land, which was written in 1925 by Reverend James Harvey Bloom. So one had to do with the murder of an 80-year-old woman named Anne Tennant back in 1875. She was killed by a man named James Hayward because he believed that she was a witch who had cursed him and that and she's a witch <laughs> and cursed oh, I the think she's entire a witch too. She cursed this entire area. She did burn her at the stake. Better. I was gonna talk about the Salem witch trials. I should stop doing that voice. Also very interesting. Yeah, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> no, really must so be. that she was a, a witch, cursed him in the entire area of War Warwickshire. So Anne had been pinned to the ground with a pitchfork slash hook found in her neck cross cut into the torso. So same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it was believed during this time that this was the traditional way to kill a witch. Um, of course. Yes. Everyone knows that. The book also included the story of how in 1885 a young plowboy with the same name as our victim, Charles Walton, had met a phantom black dog on his way home from work for nine nights in a row. And on the last night... The dog had been accompanied by a headless woman. The ninth night when he saw the headless woman also coincided with his sister's death. Mm. It was said that Charles Walton in the book is the very same one as our victim. Walton was uh, the real murder victim. Walton Charles Walton was born in 1870, and this story took place in 85, so it's quite possible that he was the, like, 15-year-old plowed boy. Huh. Um... It's also said that sightings of ghostly black dogs have been common on Meon Hill, and it's something that the area itself had a long history of. It had a long history of like black magic and the occult and witchcraft and all that good stuff. Yeah, you know, just the good stuff. The good like, stuff. Like uh, cursing people. Blood sacrifices. You know, black masses. All of that. That's, you know, we... It's, it's wonderful. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, bitch. <laughs> okay. Better not make any trouble for the witches, bitch. Although this was all weird and paranormal and shit, the Scotland Yard detectives, Robert Fabian and Albert Webb, looked at the case as though it was done by a run-of-the-mill psychopath. Okay. Um, an incident room was set up in Stratford, and one of the first things that they did was take aerial photographs of the entire crime scene. And it was, uh, bloodstains were clearly visible on the grass, even from like a really high altitude. A ground search was also organized uh, 
where they used metal detectors and they were hoping to find his missing pocket watch. Maybe there'd be um, fingerprints on it or something along those lines, but they, the watch was never found. So Albert Potter, his employer, was the last person to see Charles Walton alive, and so he was the initial suspect. Um, so upon questioning about the day of the crime, Potter gave some, like, contradictory information saying that he had seen Walton out working with a sleeved shirt on but the body that had been the body that was found had been dressed in a jacket and a sleeveless work shirt um was like was under the jacket so Potter also claimed that his fingerprints had been on the murder weapons and that this was because he had been with the he had been um, one of the first people to come across the body and had inspected the scene before police arrived, even though no such fingerprints had been found because they had been wiped off by somebody. Hmm. Um, that seems very strange. Exactly. When he talked about his whereabouts, his information also contradicted with, with what other witnesses were telling investigators as well. So to, despite his, like, overall weird behavior he even like left the scene before the police showed up there's no evidence that connects him to the murder at all and mm. there's like no like real motive or mm. anything that would tie him to the crime yeah so he was never convicted of anything mm -hmm. um when his past was looked into charles walton it was found that uh his wealth had mysteriously disappeared. So in 1927, when uh, Walton became um, a widower, he had um, quite a, a bit of money. And so all this cash was put into a, to a building society account, but only, only a little over two euros was, credit, was actually ever credited. And no one knew where the rest of the money went. So that's like another weird, curious thing that like goes along with his death. Hmm. So, a little bit of a debunk here. According to Wikipedia, the Antenant story... The source of all truth and knowledge in the world. Of course. The Antenant story and the Plowboy named Charles Walton story are myths. So, the Charles Walton in the story that was in the Shakespeare Wait, so there wasn't book. a real headless woman walking around with a ghostly black dog? That, no. That wasn't real? Shut up. Oh, it could have totally, been real. Totally believe it. It could have been real. Um, <laughs> it should have been real. I hope something so paranormal and unexplainable supernatural happens to you. I would shit my pants. I would be so fucking happy. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't shut down everything I say all the time. I hope that it's aliens and then they take me on a ride in their spaceship and we have a good time and it's lots of fun and I, I, hope, I hope for that some weird ghosty shit in your house or something anyway Ooh. I hope you see your dead cat or something um, I hope you see my dead cat or something okay you'd love it I'd hate it I'd you love would fucking love it you would it. love it you would I would I'd be like it. oh princess oh my god come here let me pet you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, go on. Charles go. Walton. Um, okay, so the Charles Walton in the story had a sister who died in 1885. However, according to the census records of the time, there's no evidence that our victim, 
Charles Walton had a sister who died in 1885. Although he, the records do show that he did have three older sisters and two younger brothers. Um, and as for Anne Tennant, Anne Tennant was a real woman who was, was murdered by a James Hayward with a pitchfork. Um, but there was no evidence of a cross etched to her chest. There was no evidence that was strapped straight through her neck. Um, but it's true that James thought that she was a witch. And so he like fucking killed her with a fucking pitchfork. Mm -hmm. Fucking idiot. Um, People even, aren't witches. <laughs> even he even they talked about how he was like the town idiot. And, oh like, Jesus! They were like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Anyway, so I also found a lot of stuff about Charles Walton and how he supposedly had all these like weird witchy things about him, and I wanted to conclude with this because of what Fabian, uh, the main investigator from the Scotland Yard, I found a really interesting quote. Okay. So we'll get into that. Cool. But here's just some of the weird things that I found by Char about our main man, Charles. Some said that wild birds would flock to him, and he was said to not only be able to easily tame the wildest of horses, but to also have the ability to calm angry or even rabid dogs. Um, some claim that his he had this pre, uh, preteral natural... Pre Preternatural. Preter, thank you. Preternatural ability with animals. It was due to proficiency with witchcraft. Um, and there had also been whispers of him, like, wandering around in the middle of the night doing mysterious errands or some shit like that. And uh, Walton was also suspected of having carried out magic rituals to hex and blight the land to rob it of its fertility and to sicken the livestock. There was I don't also, like him so much anymore. <laughs> Well, there was a crop failure in 1944, and that was blamed on people blamed him. Well, Got to be blamed on some somebody. People. It was often said that there were areas overrun with natterjack toads, which is a classic sign of hexing. Of course. Um, but Charles supposedly just kept them as pets. <laughs> yeah. Does not sound like a good pet. <laughs> Um, so, like I said, Fabian, the main investigator from the Scotland Yard. He never had any mention of witchcraft, witchcraft, ritualistic killings, black dogs, toads, blood sacrifice. He never had any of that in his official reports. However, he was a self-publicist. Uh, he was a self-publicist, and he relied on his reputation a lot. So, uh, it's plausible that he kept his real experiences out of his official reports and never truly elaborated on what he saw and what happened and the rumors of the case and whether they were true or not but he did write this he said which i think is i think it's interesting he says i advise anybody who is tempted at any time to venture into black magic witchcraft shamanism call it what you will to remember charles walton and to think of his death which was clearly the ghastly climate of a pagan rite there is no stronger argument for keeping as far away as possible from the villains with their swords, incense, and mumbo-jumbo. It is prudence on which your future peace of mind and even your life could depend. That's some, uh, some pearls of wisdom. Boom. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to become a witch, I don't know. It's probably fine. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Wicca is very real, and it's yeah. a very interesting culture right become a good witch that's what i say uh hex the president <laughs> 
yeah. Have well, you heard about that? I think maybe he is hexed, though. Maybe that's the problem. What maybe a, we're all fucking hexed. What a gross man. Um, so am I supposed to support Wikipedia? I agree. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Historicmysteries.com article by Les Hewitt and MysteriousUniverse.org article by Brent Swanser. Noise. Yay! Yeah. Murder! <laughs> oh my god. Everybody cheer for murder? No, don't no. do That's not good. No. Don't do that. That's it's time for, for weird shit. Weird shit. Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird. <laughs> I like it when you do that one. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do a CBS News story by Caitlin O'Kane. Okay. And the title is Giant Hogweed, Plant That Causes Blindness and Third Degree Burns yeah, Discovered that. in Virginia. Just when you thought it was safe to go outside. <laughs> in fucking Virginia. <laughs> and apparently... A ton of other states, because I guess this shit shows up in, like, a bunch of places. Like, Michigan, but especially New York. So, if you are in one of these places where this plant grows, um, like I said, it's kind of more than I had thought. Uh, look out for it. Do not touch it. Do not go near it. It could literally blind you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So is this like a chemical or? Yes, it is a chemical and it is um, some kind of chemical that I'm trying to find the name of. Here it is. Uh, it is a toxic chemical known as photosensitizing furono, fur, I practiced it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently what it does is if your skin gets contacted by it, it makes your skin ultra sensitive to sunlight, <gasps> which is super weird, right? That is weird. It's like, I think that the plant is a witch. Oh my because god! Because of it's hexing you. Mario, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> it's a witch. That plant is a witch. Burn it. That's some witchy. That's some witchy hogweed. That's some witchy like ingredient you can put in your in your very pot. true. Yeah. Yeah? Um, don't encourage people. <laughs> <laughs> and so this shit is crazy. And uh, yeah, don't... Okay, this is what the New York State officials advise about it. Do not mow, cut, or weed whack the plant as it will just send up new growth and put you at risk for being exposed to sap. Sidebar, apparently its seeds can last up for ten, up to 10 years. Oh, fuck that. So, hey, that's great. Back to the quote. The same kind hey, of thing. Hey, that's great. Hey, that's great. The same kind of thing that would happen with poison ivy or sumac. Seek advice from professional plant control specialists about management options. If you must touch the giant hogweed, wear disposable rubber gloves, a long-sleeved shirt, and pants. Etc. Etc. Don't be an idiot. That was not part of the quote. So anyway, this is this chick what is just it crazy. Look like it looks like. Should I post a picture of it? Yeah, 
Um, it's like a white flower with like a big uh, leaves, like big leafy green leaves. That's scary. It looks like straight up any other weed. Yeah, it's it looks like kind of generic, but apparently it's just like bigger in some respects. So there's like a website you can go to where it'll, it'll this is like, like tell you. Pretty important. Yeah, this is like our PSA right now. We're like doing a public service right now. We're like doing a public service right now. So if you could just listen up real quick, please. <laughs> um, oh wait, I found the list of states where it is too. Okay, so it also grows in New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Maryland, Oregon, Washington, Michigan, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Not Illinois. But not Illinois. It's a lot of states, right? So anyway, that's all I was gonna say about that. Now it's wow. your now it's your turn for some weird shit. Um, okay, so mine's not really weird shit in the news. Mine's just some straight up weird shit. And I was going to talk about it as, like, my theme, <laughs> but, like, it, it's not like that. It's not something I could really seriously elaborate on without going through talking about JFK and that oh, entire right, day right, right, and right. the conspiracy. And I don't want to do that because hey, there's so much. when we actually do another Weird News Extra, that'd be a good one for it. That would be a good one. So, tease it. Heads up, guys. Um... I guess we, like, don't know where JFK's brain is. It's, like, gone. It's straight up gone. Like, no one knows where it... No one knows where it is. Right. So, um... Sometimes you lose your keys. Sometimes you lose JFK's brain. Sometimes you lose JFK's brain. It's a thing that happens. So, this article is from um, Vanity Fair. uh, And it was published in 2013. uh, 11-22-13, which is 50... 50 years after... 50th anniversary of his death. So it says, yes, during JFK's autopsy, his brain was placed in a stainless steel container with a screwed top lid. According to James Swanson's End of Days, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, per the New York Post, the container was, at that time, quote, stored in a file cabinet in the office of the Secret Service. Eventually, it made its way, um, along with other evidence, uh, to the National Archives. It was replaced in a secure room under the jurisdiction of JFK's former secretary. But um, in October 1966, it was discovered that the brain, the tissue slides, and other autopsy materials were missing, and they have never been seen since. That's so crazy. 1966. So the guy who like wrote this book uh-huh. has a theory and says that there's compelling, con- compelling evidence that it was his brother... RFK, Robert, um, took it with the help of his assistants and conspiracy theories say that maybe because it's evidence that JFK was shot from the front and not the back, supporting the Grassy Knoll theory. second shooter, the Grassy Knoll man, watch the video. Yeah, go on. Or that um, also to conceal the evidence of the true extent of his illnesses and right. how much medicine he was actually on. Sure. Um, but, yeah. He, what, what, he, he had, um, what disease did he have? ALS? Or Parkinson's? Or what was it? I it don't wasn't remember. ALS. Neither of those. Something Teddy Roosevelt else. had ALS, right? Because mm, he was in yeah, a wheelchair. I think so. 
No, not Teddy Roosevelt. Um, man, we are really fucking smart <laughs> I <don't>. right now. <laughs> the other Roosevelt, okay, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, the one that you're came right. afterwards. You know, correct. His. Um, I know things. Is it his? Were they grand grandson and, and grandfather? I have no idea. I can't answer that question. John Quincy Adams and John Adams, they were grandfather and grandson, right? Yeah, because sure. the Bushes were the first son and, and I know that. The H.W. and W., they're the first, like, father and son to become president. Instead of fishing, they go to cabinet meetings together. Uh, yeah. How boring you is know, that? Pretty, pretty fun. And then, of course, Jeb, he always wanted to be president. Ew. Jeb was, like, the one who always did better when they were growing up, but then he, like, didn't become president, so it, like, didn't fucking matter <laughs> whatever you did. My? Oh, you were governor of Florida? Oh, I was president for eight years. Oh, sorry. Sorry. My entire concept of Jeb Bush has to do Jeb. with um, <laughs> how he's portrayed on um, bad lip reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Anyway, JFK's brain is missing. No one knows where it is. If you could find it for us. The end. Great. Hey, put it out on Twitter. We were talking about that earlier. Apparently, you can you can just put something out of... What was it? X, X, how do you say that? XXXTentacion. That motherfucker. He just died. Who, who was shot. He's he not, was just shot. He's, it's sad because he's 20. But he was not a good dude. He right. was... No one deserves to die. Domestically just, abusive to his right. wife. Extremely abusive to his wife. Yeah. He no like, one deserves that either. He, like, locked obviously. her in a room for two days and, like, took away her phone and shit. And he, like... Jesus. Threatened to do some pretty nasty shit. And he right. hit her all the time. And Terrible. not a good dude. Not a good dude. Yeah, anyway. Obviously, yeah. Twitter, like, basically found out who fucking did it by looking at some Snapchat, some Instagram. And Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> we'll see. Here we are on the rap game. Yeah, Some let's not let's not get into that. Between, <laughs> let's let's uh, stay away from that area. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently Twitter uh, is a a way to solve crimes now, so that's pretty cool. Straight up. Yeah, love it. Anyway. Love Thanks for listening. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Tell all your friends about our podcast. We get really excited. I do, because I look obsessively at our, like, statistics things. I never like, do. Oh, another person listened since the ten minutes ago I looked at it before. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, we got a bunch of listens from uh, Kampala. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Where is that? In Africa. Africa. Yeah. Um, Senegal won today. Oh, they did? Yeah. That's awesome. They finally got a win. I, I don't think Africa had gotten a win in the World Cup up until that point. Because uh, Russia beat Egypt, I know, like 3-1 or something. I don't even care about sports. I just saw it on Snapchat. But it's the World <laughs> Cup, baby. Everybody's got to get into it. Even though the United care. States isn't in and we really don't care. I don't care. You know who's uh, hot, I'm rooting though. for Mexico. You know who's hot, though? Christian Ronaldo. He's hot. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. yeah. You're not talking about his gameplay I'm getting. No. Is that? No? Oh, not. okay. Anyway. Talking about his face. He is a very attractive man, yes. Also, I believe he's the highest paid athlete in the world. I'm fairly sure. That's dope. It, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, this is not like... good for him. But also, he's like embroiled in this like 
legal matter. I don't know too much about it, so everybody's got problems, you know. Is that it? Are we done? I think we're done. <laughs> now have we rambled enough at the end? We're good, man. Thank you for listening. Go to the Instagram. Follow us on Instagram, mystery murdery thingy. R- word of mouth, let people know, mystery murdery thingy. It's a podcast about mysteries. You could even like shit talk us and be like, oh my god, it's so bad. Like, they're like a lo fi podcast, and I don't know, it just sounds like it doesn't sound good. They I don't think know. it's cool, but it's really not. They think they're really cool. And, like, people want to listen to them, and it's, like, bullshit. That's what, <laughs> that's what I say. That's, that's, you know, that's my opinion. Wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Real talk. Wow. No, I think we're good. I think we're getting better. I think we need to stop recording so yeah, I can go let's to bed. Stop. Okay. Bye. Bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.